Good morning. This morning I'm going to continue uh, looking at prayer uh, as we began last week, uh, kind of a two-week look at the topic of prayer. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, quite simply we just looked at the fact that our, our posture as the people of God is to be one of prayer, that not only do we need to know God's word, but we actually need to hear from him. That's why the elders were devoted to the apostles' teaching to, to pray, and to pray. And that, um, and that as, as we pray, we need not just pray that God would do big things, that God would move heaven and earth as it was for us, um, but that we should pray because he has done big things, that he's already moved heaven and earth for us uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so most of you are like, wow, he said that in like three minutes. Well, last week it was 30. That's that's. That's the spiritual gift of preachers, is to say in 30 minutes what can normally be said in three. So um, this morning we're going to continue that theme, though. We're going to look at Paul's admonition in the book of Philippians. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word, I'll be in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 through verse 9. Hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to our church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, right out of the gate, Paul commands us, as we sang this morning, as rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he reminds us and says it again, rejoice. Um, As we read the words of the Lord this morning, as we considered even in confession our own sin, I'm reminded of um, the passage in Nehemiah. After they heard the law and they were convicted of their sin, there was the assurance and the pardon of sin. And it says that they um, were comforted by the words of Nehemiah and Ezra who says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that verse comes from. The joy, I don't know if you've thought about that, our strength comes from God's joy. How did Jesus endure the cross as he agonized in prayer? As we think about prayer, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He gained strength. 
And so it says they, in response to the reality that their sins had been forgiven and God had been gracious to them, it says they made great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. And so that's simply my prayer for us this morning is that we would kind of understand the words that Jesus has declared to us um, and that we would be able to circle back around and rejoice. Um, To fuel that command, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, and as we, as we think about prayer, this is honestly, this is why we pray. Usually we pray for reasons like last week that God would do big things and we want things from God. But we also pray because we want him to do things that we don't see him doing or that aren't, being, aren't happening. We want things to happen that aren't or things are happening that we don't want to happen. And we want God to stop it, right? But we, either way, we desire God to do something because we're afraid that what we want to happen isn't going to happen. Or we're afraid of what is happening is the exact thing that we don't want to happen. But fear drives both of those things. And he tells the Philippians, he tells us, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. See, that the definition of panic is a sudden sensation of fear that is so strong that it dominates and prevents reason or logical thinking, replacing it with an overwhelming feeling of anxiety. So panic. And, and so Paul is essentially saying, don't panic. Don't panic. Keep calm and carry on. See, that, that was, that's Paul. That's not Winston Churchill. That's Paul. He's saying, keep calm and, and let your reasonableness be known to all. And he said, well, why should we keep calm? Don't you see what's happening? And he says, yeah, but the Lord is at hand. That's what you need to see is what's happening. That's, this is the grounds for his prayer. See, the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is just what we need to guard against in prayer. Then we're going to look at how we can be guided in prayer. And then we're going to look at the grounds for our prayer. That's, that's it. That's my three-point outline. So what we need to be guarded against in prayer is our fear, is anxiety, is worry, is panic. And he says, the Lord is at hand. This is why we need not fear. And I can't help but think that Paul is familiar with and is thoroughly uh, immersed in the gospel accounts that we have. Um, and this is really honestly um, a foundational teachings of, of, of Jesus, is to not be afraid. It's actually one of the most foundational teachings of Jesus, um, which is odd um, if you think about it, but he's constantly telling his disciples not to be afraid, don't, or don't worry, don't be anxious. And, and can I just submit to you that the reason that he has to keep telling them that is because there's reason to worry <laughs> and there's reason to be anxious, that they see some things that, should, that concern them. That, and, and may I also submit to you that the second most frightening place to be is in the will of God. It is the second most frightening place to be. And the most frightening place to be is outside of the will of God. So fear will be a temptation. And just this morning, I just simply want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? And the reason I ask you that is because I know that that's what you're going to pray about. I know that's what's going to dominate your prayers. I know that's what's going to dominate your conversations. I know that's what's dominating your heart. 
there's, a, there's an account of the disciples being in a boat. This is kind of one of the first places where Jesus starts to teach them not to be afraid. And as you're going to see, you're in great company. If this is something you struggle with, this is something the disciples struggled with. And you're familiar probably with the story where they're in the boat and the waves, there's a great storm, are flooding the boat and and they're being tossed to and fro and Jesus is in the back of the boat uh, with his eyes closed. They they believe he's sleeping. I I don't know, he may have been sleeping. I think he was like us parents sometimes, you know, when our kids are just going crazy and we're just laying there with our eyes closed, you know, pretending to be asleep. But Jesus is in the back of the boat with his eyes closed and they run to him and they ask him this question, which honestly, if you fear and if you're afraid or if you're worried or you're anxious, this is the question of your heart in your prayers to God. Do you not care Do you see my circumstances? Do you see the possibilities? Do you see my pain? And if you see it, why don't you do something about it? Do you not care? And it says that Jesus rose and awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And so Jesus calmed the environment. He changed the circumstances. He settled the waves and yet their hearts were not calm. (laughs) It says that he asked them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious? Have you still no faith? And it says, so he tells them, don't be afraid. And it says they were filled with great fear after he told them not to be afraid. They saw the winds and the waves and they cried out to God, don't you care what's happening? And then God calmed those and they realized who was in the boat with them. And it says they were even feared greater. Mark says they had a great fear. They feared greatly. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Exactly the right question. See, the Lord was at hand. They need not be afraid. This was the lesson that Jesus was trying to tell them. Literally, he was at hand. He was at arm's length. He was at hand. He was like, wake up. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? And he proved that it's easier to calm the storms and the winds and the tumult of the sea than it is our hearts and the storm that rages and the worries that continue to toss us to and fro. Later on, Uh, We hear the account where, again, he sends them out on a boat (laughs) on the sea. And they travel all night without Jesus. He sends them on ahead of him. And the gospel accounts tell us that they were in a headwind. It wasn't necessarily a storm that they feared for their life, but they were seeking desperately to obey Jesus, and it took them all night to row across the sea in this headwind, and that uh, early, right before dawn, they saw what they thought was a ghost. And they cried out in fear, <laughs> in worry. That's a prayer. That's a prayer, by the way. They cried out in fear. They were worried. They cried out in fear. And Jesus said to them, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. To which they said, well, last time you were in the boat, we were even more afraid. Last time you were in the boat, you calmed the seas. Now you're walking on the seas. (laughs) And they were afraid. 
And then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, then ask me to step out on the water. See, in the will of God is a scary place, right? Peter proves it. Walking on water, he was afraid and beginning to sink after looking about at his circumstances, he was afraid and he began to sink, it says, because he was afraid. And he cried out again, Lord, save me. And where was the Lord? At hand. Right at hand. And he grabs him. And he reaches out his hand. It says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And they got into the boat and the wind ceased. And then they worshipped him. And they worshipped him. And so Paul says, be reasonable. Think about this. The Lord is at hand. And this is the Lord who calms the seas and the waves, who walks on the water, who can be still your anxious heart. And so don't be anxious. This is the command. Why are you anxious? This is the same word. Why are you afraid? Why are you worried? Why are you concerned? Do not be anxious about anything. He didn't say don't be anxious about most things. Don't be anxious about those things. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, let your requests be known to God. And so Paul connects these two ideas, which Jesus connected, not being afraid and and thinking about why you are afraid, which is ultimately that you don't have faith, that your faith is in a circumstance or a situation and not in a Savior. And Jesus, even in teaching about anxiety, told the disciples, Let's reason about this. So Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to all. And and Jesus says, let's think about this. Because he says, don't be anxious about your life. Because which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So Jesus says, think about this. Be reasonable. Can you even do anything? Control is an illusion. Think about this. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then he says this, it's almost a throwaway line, like you can just read over it, but he says this really profound statement. He says, if then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Do you notice, did you catch that? Jesus says that life and the span of life and control of life to him is a small thing. It's a small thing to Jesus. It's a big thing to us. To him, it's a small thing. The waves and the storms and the circumstances in life, those are big to us. To Jesus, they're small things. He's like, be quiet. I'm trying to sleep. It's a small thing to Jesus. Jesus says, be reasonable. Look who's at hand for us. Look who cares about us. Do you care? That's the question, right? And Jesus says, oh yes, I care. And I hope before we leave this morning that you know that he does care. That you can answer that question. Does God care? Does, does he see my circumstances? Does he understand my fears? Is he aware of my worries and my concerns? Does he, why doesn't he do something? Doesn't he care? He does care, and he has done something. And if we do not guard ourselves against this fear, as we pray and as we walk as God's people... Jesus teaches in his parable of the sower that it makes us not just 
lack faith but lack fruit. He says in the parable of the sower, what was sown among the thorns and was choked out was the one who hears the gospel, who hears that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord cares for you. And yet the cares, the anxieties, it's the same word, the worries, the concerns of the world choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Fear chokes the gospel and chokes the fruitfulness of the power of the gospel in our lives. And we need to be guarded against it. And so Paul tells the Philippians, think about this. The Lord is at hand. You don't need to be anxious, but let the Lord know your concerns. Let your request be known to God. As Kurt read this morning, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, what do you do when, when you start to worry and you start to fear and you start to have concerns and, and it starts to consume your heart and your mind? Well, God knows those things, so he says, let them be known to him. He already knows them, which literally means just hand them over instead of holding them to yourself. Hand them over. Hand them over to God. That's what casting your, all your anxieties on him, casting them on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. That comes from Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord. Our burdens were meant to be borne by him, not by us. Think about that. Your burdens were meant to be carried by him, not by you. Your anxieties, your fears were meant to be carried by him, not you. And it says, when you do that, when you hand those things over, when you allow the Lord to carry your burdens, when you let your requests be known to God, your anxieties, your fears, your concerns, there's this great promise, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will will guard your heart and your mind, which is ultimately what we need, right? And we need our hearts and our minds to be guarded so that we don't panic, so that we're not gripped by fear. And honestly, that's a hard thing to do in today's age because... The only thing that makes the news is the extremes, right? Like the 80% of what happens in the world is just normal. Everything's fine. There's nothing to be concerned about. Nothing to worry about. Carry on. Nothing to see here, right? But what makes the news is extreme good or extreme bad. And ultimately, that's usually what we're praying for. We're praying for something really, God, really do this amazing thing. Or God, protect me from this terrible thing. But we're we're praying on the extremes and we're not living in the reality, which is 80% of our life, is that there's nothing to worry about. And God has been gracious and will continue to be so. So you need not be worried about getting that wonderful blessing. He's already given his son. He's already committed and shown that Blessings are in his nature and his character. He's a gracious God. And you, need not be, and you need not be afraid. And this peace that passes understanding, that doesn't make sense. This is how our reasonableness is made known to all. Is when they, others look around and they see our circumstances, or they're in the same circumstances, and, they go, and they're panicked, they're worried, they're anxious, they're overcome with fear. They look over and they, they, they see us and... We're not worried. We're not afraid. We're not anxious. And they, they go, why aren't you anxious? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It passes understanding. Apart from God, it doesn't make sense. With God, it makes perfect sense. 
And it says this will guard your heart and your mind. So in in your prayers, your heart and your mind can be guarded from your anxieties and your fear if you think on these things. If you think, you know, it's a small thing to Jesus. It's a big thing to me, but it's a small thing to him, and he does care. And so this first little section in guarding our hearts and our minds in prayer, Paul simply says, the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to all, and let your requests be known to God. Let your reasonableness be known, and let your requests be known. The Lord is at hand. The peace of God will be given. It's a promise. The peace of God. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. His peace is a different peace. That's why it passes understanding. But he says, I give you my peace. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be worried, anxious, afraid. Same word. And he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Gee, thanks, Jesus. That's really encouraging. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's actually good news. Because when you have tribulation, you're tempted to fear. And one of your greatest doubts and anxieties is, where is God? Does he not care? Has God abandoned me? Maybe you've got friends like Job who come and tell you, terrible things are happening to you. You must have made God mad. He must be against you. He must not be for you. See, this is good news. So that when you have tribulation, Jesus tells you, you will have those things. When those things happen, you need not fear that God is not at hand, that he doesn't care. What you need to do is take heart, take hold. He says, I have overcome the world. So that's what we do with our fear. That's how we guard our hearts and our minds in prayer. As we look to the lessons of Jesus. And then the other thing that we normally pray for, um, not just Will God do this or will he not do this or, you know, will he provide or how? But it's really what to do. You know, any of you in those situations, it's not your greatest fear. It's just your greatest decision. I don't know what to do next. That's what I'm praying about. I'm praying for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom and everyone's hand goes up, right? That's me. I lack wisdom. I need to know what, what do I do? How do I handle this situation? How do I respond to that person? How do I, what do I do? How do I deal with this? And then he gives us what to guide us in prayer. So we need to be guarded in prayer from our fears, and we need to be guided in prayer in our decisions. And he says, this is how, this is how you make a decision in prayer. You think about whatever is true. What's true? What do I know to be true? Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should act in light of that. Many times I've struggled to pray because of fear, for anxiety, for worry. I said, well, what's true? What do I know is true? Let's, let's focus on that. Let me, I, I, I'm going to operate in that. This is, God is sovereign. God is control. Jesus rose from the dead. He can turn my greatest mistakes into his greatest blessings. I know that's true. So even if this decision... I don't have all the information and I can't 
I can't control it. There's just too many variables. I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know how they're going to react. They may, I just, I just don't know. But I do know that if I do what's right, and if I do what's just, and if I do what's honorable, the truth I know is that even those who mean things for evil, God uses for good. What's honorable? What would be the honorable thing to do? How would be, what would be the honorable way to respond to that person? What would be the honorable thing to do about the situation? Honorable, you know, like, that, that people would honor the people would be that that's that's something that we want to take note of. Some translations say, "What's the noble thing? What's the noble thing to do?" So just ask that, God. What would what would the noble thing be to do? Maybe maybe I should do that. What is the just thing to do? Or the, it's the same word as right. Some translations say, "What is the right? What's the right thing to do? Do what's right. What's the just thing to do? What's the fair thing to do?" Is it to just look out for your own needs and interests or is it to look to the needs and interests of others or to, is it to just look out for my well-being and, and, and me being treated rightly and fairly or is it that everybody be treated rightly and fairly? What's the just thing to do? Social justice. What's the right thing to do? Do that. See, most of you, as you walk through these critical questions, if you, if you use this as a criteria, Discerning the will of the Lord is easy, right? Because if you go, oh, that wouldn't be very honorable. <laughs> that wouldn't be right. You go, well, <laughs> that's not the will of the Lord then. <laughs> that's easy. See, it's easy actually to discern the will of God. It's really hard to actually do the will of God. That's really where the rub is. Discerning the will of God actually isn't that hard. Doing the will of God, that's hard. Whatever is pure innocent, unblemished, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely. If you're ever moved to tears as you watch a movie, it's usually because somebody has done an act that is beautiful, that's lovely, that's honorable, that's noble, that's pure, that's sacrificial. Whatever is commendable, would you commend your decision to others? Would you recommend your decision to others? Yeah, I don't, I don't normally recommend people do this, but <laughs> I decided, really? Is that commendable then? It's probably a foolish decision. It's probably not a wise decision. It's probably not a faith-filled decision. It's probably an ungodly decision. Is it commendable? Is, it, is there any excellence in it? Above normal. It excels. It's, it's above and beyond what people normally do. Jesus says, you know, if you only love those who love you, pff, that's not really excellent, is it? But see, if you love your enemies, that's, a little, that's above and beyond. See, this grid fits. You can, you can take all of the teachings of Jesus and put them on this grid, and it perfectly fits. It's really easy to discern the will of God. Is there anything worthy of praise? Is there anything praiseworthy that you would be lauded for? Like, good job. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Is it praiseworthy? If it's not praiseworthy, if it's not excellent, if you wouldn't recommend it to others, if it's not a beautiful act, if it's not the right thing to do, if it's not 
in line with the truth of the gospel, it's not God's will. It's that simple. It really is that simple. So when you pray and you go, I'm really praying, God, what do I do? Then just say, God, in this situation, what would be the honorable thing to do? What would be the, the excellent thing to do? What would be the right thing to do? What would be a beautiful way to respond in this situation? And most of us, when we pray that, we go, I don't want to pray that prayer because that, that's hard. Because I know what that is, and that's, that's going to be sacrificial. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And he says, Paul says, think on these things, and that's how you're going to discern it. And he says, but if you practice these things, so first of all, he tells you to think on these things. That's how you discern it in prayer. But then he says, practice these things. So actually do it. When you come to the conclusion, you understand, okay, this is the will of God. This is what I need to do. This is how I need to move forward. It is going to be difficult. But just as he guarded our hearts with his peace, now he promises to be with us in his presence. He says, if you practice these things, not only will God give you his peace, we've already talked about that, but the God of peace will be with you. See, that's why it's even more fearful to be out of the will of God. He promised Moses, Moses, y'all just go in. I'll bless all your circumstances. I'll make all your, everything that the people are grumbling about, I'll take care of that. You just go into the land and I'll bless you and I'll give you everything that your heart desires. And Moses says, but, but God said, but, but I'm not going to go with you guys. And Moses says, if you don't go, we don't go. Because that's the worst place to be is out of the will of God, out of the presence of God. So the encouragement that he says is as you discern God's will and you move forward, it is going to be difficult, but he will be with you. The Lord is at hand. You can go, I know God is with me in this. I know that this is according to his will. This is according to his character. This is according to his nature. He is for me in this. The circumstances may not turn out as I desire or as I will or as I wish or as I want, but I'm not so much concerned about my circumstances anymore. My greatest fear would be that my circumstance would dictate God's absence and not his presence. See, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news that Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. And as we live in light of the kingdom of God, that's what doing what's honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. That's the, that's the kingdom of God living there. That's loving your enemies, being kind to those who persecute you, praying for those who curse you. That's the kingdom of God at hand. And as you think about those things and as you practice those things, he says the God of peace will be with you. So as you rationalize your fear, God says, I will guard your hearts and your mind with my peace. And as you act in faith, God says, I will be with you and guard your steps with my presence. Now, that's easy to say, right? Anybody who's worried knows what it's like to have somebody go, don't worry. Thanks. That helps. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Oh, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's real easy. Stop it. Yeah, it's real easy. Well, don't worry. The disciples, they struggled too. It's interesting. 
Peace be with you is the phrase that Jesus most often said when he was with them after his death and resurrection. In Luke's gospel, it says they were talking about everything that had happened, and Jesus shows up and he says, peace to you. And again, they were startled and frightened. (laughs) That's what it says. Jesus shows up, and they're like, ah, he's here again, you know? It's that guy that calms the seas and waves and walks on water and, and dies and comes back from the dead, you know? Like, they're afraid. He's like, that's why Jesus begins. I mean, the first thing he says is, peace be with you, and then they're afraid. It's like, they still don't get it. In John's gospel, it says, one evening, the first day of the week, the doors were locked. They're behind closed doors, and the doors are locked, and it says, for fear, <laughs> because they were afraid. And then Jesus came and stood among them and said, be at peace. And when he said that, he showed him his hands and his side. And again, he said to them, again, in the same moment, be at peace. Peace be with you. Now, eight days later, Thomas wasn't with them. (laughs) And he shows up again. And it says, and the doors were locked again. So everybody's still afraid. And he shows up again and he tells Thomas, be at peace. Peace be with you. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be frightened. And he tells him, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve. Don't lack faith, but have faith. Believe. And he says, my Lord, my God, He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Do you have faith because of that? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet do not fear. Jesus taught elsewhere, do not fear, but fear. Interesting teaching, isn't it? Don't be afraid, but be afraid. Well, which is it, Jesus? Well, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of the circumstances. Don't be afraid of those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you should be afraid of. And so Jesus is still trying to teach this lesson to the disciples from boats to upper locked rooms, to seaside shores. He's like, you're afraid of the wrong things. You should be afraid, but your, your, your fear is misplaced and misguided. You should have faith, but your faith is misplaced and misguided. I need to rearrange your faith and your fear off of those objects and off of those things and off of those circumstances and place them on me. And yet you need not fear me either. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus says, I love you. You can cast your fears upon me because I love you. See, when we pray, we pray knowing that God is the only one who is strong enough. To him, it's a little thing. To him, it's a little thing. He's the only one wise enough to know all the circumstances and what needs to be done to do what we would do if we knew everything he knew. And he's the only one who's loving enough to actually do it. Not only is he strong enough, wise enough, but he's loving enough to actually do what needs to be done. 
And Isaiah reminds us of this. This is so the, we talked about guarding our hearts in prayer, guiding our decisions in prayer, and this is really just the grounds of our prayer is the gospel. Isaiah says, "To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom is he at hand?" says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was our burden bearer. And unless you think that that just means on the cross for your sins, this verse is quoted by Matthew in chapter 8 as fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet spoke when Jesus is dealing with the day-to-day circumstances of people. He says he, was, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals the sick and the wounded that are coming to the house. He casts out demons. And then Matthew says this was to fulfill this verse, that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. The ministry of Jesus was literally, as he was going around healing people, he was taking the effects of sin in their life and putting them on his back. He didn't just carry it on the cross at Calvary. He carried it on the road there. That's why when a woman touches his robe and she's healed, it says he got weak. It's like someone just put some extra weight on his back. Because for her to be healed, he had to be hurt. For our burdens to be lifted, his has to be made heavy. But this is the Lord that is at hand. The one who says... I will carry your burdens. I will carry your sorrows. The Lord lays those on him, and he is the one who bears our iniquities and bears the sins of many. And it says, and the reason that that happened is that he was crushed for our iniquities, that his chastisement would bring us, what's the word? Anyone know the word? Peace. Isaiah says, that's what brings us peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Peace with our circumstances and our situations. So we are to cast our burdens upon Jesus because he's our burden bearer. We we are to be at peace because the gospel of his love has provided us peace. He's the prince of peace. And we're to pray to him because he prays for us. Isaiah ends this passage of him bearing our burdens, carrying our sorrows, suffering for our sins. The last verse, the last statement of the verse is, he makes intercession for the transgressors, for you and me. So we should pray to Jesus because he's praying for us. You should pray to Jesus because he prays for you. You should give him his burdens because that's what he does is he carries our burdens. The peace of God and the presence of God are promised to the people of God as they pray to God. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you our fear and our worries, and we ask that you would exchange that with your peace. Father, we commit ourselves to doing your will and discerning how we should act. 
And we desire to practice these things, claiming the promise of your presence as we do what's hard. And Father, we thank you that we can come to you and pray to you and that we can cast all of our anxieties on you because you are wise, because you are strong and able, and because you are loving. May your perfect love cast out our fear. Conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.